0: Morning. The uh, the scripture reading today is from Matthew six fourteen through fifteen, and Matthew eighteen twenty one through thirty five. Verse fourteen: For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. <clears throat> then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not have, have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ.
1: Hey, double water. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, For those of you who I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Derek Harris. I am one of the pastors here, at CPC, and I'm more over at the central location, but we are one church with multiple locations. Uh, Thought I'd start just by telling you a little bit about myself, Uh, get to know you, but before I do that, if you wouldn't mind, let me just pray. Father, thank you for the honor it is to preach your word. I stand before you and this congregation as a sinner saved by grace, no different than them. And I pray that you would speak through me by your word and your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I thank you for this honor. Amen. Um, Well, hey, y'all. Like I said, my name is Derek. um, I'm originally from Birmingham, Alabama, if we have anybody here from Birmingham. I went to Auburn University. And after that, I worked in ministry in Birmingham for about six years at a place called Briarwood Presbyterian Church, if y'all have ever heard of that, followed by a nine-year period in Washington, D.C., where I also got my seminary education at Reformed Theological Seminary and was a pastor at a church there um, called McLean Presbyterian Church. And I did all that before coming here to serve at Christ Pres. And this June is going to mark my fourth year here for me. Uh, now, my wife... Anna Catherine and I, we met at Auburn, the promised land of Auburn University, and we have been married for 15 years now. We have a five-year-old boy named John Paul Harris, and we just adore him. Um, And I've been working now this year as a youth pastor for 17 years, Um, and I've had the privilege of serving at CPC as an associate pastor on staff, but also as the pastor of youth and families And so that means in addition to helping lead services like this one or Holy Week services or communion, I work alongside an incredible staff and team of volunteer leaders as we seek to hold hands with all of you to love the students and the families of the seventh through 12th graders in our congregation and beyond and in this city. So it's an honor to be with you today. just thought I'd start by letting you get to know me a little bit and then tell you a little bit of story. So last Sunday, I was at my house, and my wife noticed a stain in the ceiling. And so I went into the attic to look and make sure that there wasn't water on top of the stain. And there wasn't. It was dried up and started to isolate the stain to thinking, well, the cause of the stain was actually probably from the gutter right outside. So when it rains a lot, water's getting in there. So I decided in this moment of clarity that I would go up on the roof, and just check out the gutter to see what was going on and figure out if it was actually getting backed up. So I get my wife to hold the ladder and I get up there and when I'm about halfway up, I realize <laughs> this roof is the steepest roof I've ever been on. Um, I've never had a roof with that much of what they call a pitch. And I am very afraid of heights, but there I was up there on my roof, completely stuck, literally straddling the house in shorts and a t-shirt. And the distance between me and the ladder was quite large. And I had to sit there and just weigh my options. How do I get back down to this ladder without sliding and flying off the house? Um, And how do I do this while experiencing the absolute least amount of pain? So my wife, who's right there, she was freaking out, and she's saying things like, Derek, I need to call a man to help you. (laughs) And I said, hey, I am a man, I think. Um, She's like, well, I need someone else here to help and maybe catch you, and she says my face was petrified. So I was just sitting up there completely stuck, exposed to the neighbors walking by on the pathway. Um, Hey, Derek, what's up? Nothing, I'm just trying to figure out how not to break my neck. Um, so I decided that the best way down was to slide like on my side um, and just let my flesh rip and that would slow me down. But I mean, it is super steep. And so I did that and I completely ripped up my side and now I'm laughing about it and my leg and my arm, they were bleeding, they were raw and they were exposed. And why do I tell that story this morning? Well, because much like me on that roof, the words of Scripture expose us. Um, And sometimes they make us, they point out actually in our life where we feel stuck. Um, And much like my leg, it shows us where our lives and our souls are raw and they're bleeding and the true pathway to safety. Uh, But there's always going to be risk involved in that pathway. And today these words that that were read are ultimately about forgiveness, okay? Okay. And these words were written by Matthew, words of Jesus to his disciples as a part of the discussion known as the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been going through here. And Jesus' words teach us three things. You know, it's spring and ants are back out, so I put this in the word ant, okay? Jesus' words teach us that true forgiveness is A, authentic, N, never-ending, and T, transformational. True forgiveness is authentic, never ending, and transformational. Um, Question for y'all, have y'all ever had that conversation at work or school or especially on a Sunday morning where it goes something like this, hey John, good to see you, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, and then you just walk away and you say nothing else. And maybe you have that conversation like five or 600 times throughout the course of a week. If you're here and you're a teenager, I know you have this conversation in school all the time. I know you have it outside of school because you have it with me, okay? Hey, what's up? Not much. How are you? Good. How are you? And you just keep walking like that. Like, please don't ask any more questions. So, I don't know about you, sometimes I like to mess with people. Hey, Derek, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Now that we've talked about nothing, how are you really doing? People just lock up and they just kind of stare at you. Um, And there's something about those types of conversations that just don't seem very authentic, when we actually get down to it, if we're honest about it. So when I say that true forgiveness is authentic, here's what I mean. The opposite of that, okay, I mean real, bona fide would be a good word, true. What we all long for in our relationships with each other, and the safest people are those that are willing to have those real conversations with us. And they do it from a heart of love, not judgment. So Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What he's doing here is he's making a declaration. Don't be a phony, he's saying. Be authentic. True forgiveness is authentic. And these verses follow his teaching on prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer, which is what was discussed last week here. And it's interesting to me how right after um, he's teaching on prayer, these two verses are just tucked in about forgiveness. They're just in there real quick, and then it goes into a discussion, if you keep reading, on fasting and laying up our treasures in heaven. And at face value, that can seem kind of like a distraction from the discussion. Like, hey, what's that over there? right? And then back on track. But in fact, it's not. It's pretty deep. And really, those two verses are the glue that tie everything together that's been said before that and what comes after that. And it all has to do with the authenticity of the heart. If you jump forward and you looked at Matthew 6, 21, you'd start to see how that played out. He says things like, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not about this external stuff. It starts with the heart and the heart of authenticity. So it starts to make sense when you, when you read that. Jesus, the master teacher, again and again, points to our hearts over and over. The heart, to be understood as the central organ of your soul, who you really are. And it's as if he's reminding us that prayer is of no value at all, if it's not authentic and from my heart, neither is forgiveness. He's basically saying, don't have one of those passerby conversations with God, and then don't have those conversations in public just so people look at you. It's not also a morality checkbox that we may be seeking. If I do this, then I get this. It's not that, but it's rather a call to consider what's at stake with authenticity. And that is faith itself. It means absolutely nothing if it's not sincere. Anne Lamont said it this way about forgiveness. Not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. It's got to be about us first. And Jesus is reminding us that if I don't forgive others, then God doesn't forgive me. Because just like true faith, true forgiveness has to be authentic. And in the case of forgiveness, that means that it's first received before it can actually be truly given. It's the ultimate re-gift, okay? It's not meant to be kept, but rather to be given away. And that's the way we know if we've ever received forgiveness. If we give it away, and we give it away willingly, not worried about what other people look at us and say. Now Martin Luther said it this way, we should always forgive others. After faith in Christ, loving and forgiving others should be our primary concern. We shouldn't cause other people pain. Instead, we should remember to forgive others even when they've caused us suffering as we often experience in this life, if we're unwilling to forgive, we can be certain that we won't be forgiven ourselves. And true forgiveness is authentic. But true forgiveness is also never-ending, okay? And what I mean by that is the results of it. They go on and on and on and on. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the movie Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase, okay? A good bit of you. Good. If you haven't, it's really funny. Um, Okay, so there's a character in there named Cousin Eddie. And he's crass and he's rude. And he's the ultimate stereotype of a redneck. And in the movie, Clark Griswold is played by uh, Chevy Chase. And he's pre-purchased a pool for his family that's not built yet. But his purchase is all dependent on getting a Christmas bonus that he's gotten every year. Well, when he receives what he believes to be the bonus, an envelope, he's got all his family together for Christmas. He calls them all in the room, and he's going to make this grand announcement. Um, he opens it up. His face drops, only to realize that it's not a Christmas bonus at all, but it's a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club for one year. To which Cousin Eddie, in the background, who's holding his fifth glass of eggnog, says, Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. And Clark responds, that it is, Edward, that it is indeed. And then he goes ballistic, and like the rest of the movie is hilarious, he gets out chainsaws and is like sawing off things that aren't working, and he just kind of loses it. And when I read these verses, when we jump forward to Matthew 18, which is the second part of the passages read, it reminds me of Cousin Eddie for some reason. He's just sitting there saying, forgiveness is the gift that keeps on giving, all right? the whole year through, right? That it is indeed, Eddie. And true forgiveness is never-ending, the results of it. And in Matthew 18, Jesus is telling us a story that he's playing off of the, that first passage we read. This is now that fleshed out and lived out in the story of a parable, okay? And it's about true, authentic forgiveness, but he's pointing it out from sort of the negative side, so in this parable, it's a very long parable, so I'll restate it for us here. There's a king, and he has many servants. One of them owes him a lot of money, okay? It says 10,000 talents. Now, one talent was the equivalent of 20 years' salary. And I've heard it said that in this particular account, it's like he owes $7 million, okay? So he owes $7 million to the king, but he doesn't have it. So what happens? The king orders for him to be sold and his family and everything he has in order to pay that debt. But the servant falls on his knees and he says, please give me some time. I'll get you this money. And the king has mercy on him. Why? Because he understands the situation he's in and he has compassion. And he understands why he doesn't have the money. So rather than require him to get the money, he says, don't worry about it. You're free to go. And he forgives the debt. So the debt is wiped clean. Now then later that same servant goes out. We don't know if it's the same day or a few days later. But he goes out and he has another servant under him. Who owes him what it says 100 denarii. That's about 100 days worth of wages. As opposed to 20 years. So if we're using the 7 million dollar figure. Then it was about 100,000 dollars. So these workers had high paying jobs. What happens is the servant who owes the 100000 pleads with his master who had just been forgiven debt of $7 million. And he, so he's, he's saying, please let me, I, I, don't, I don't have this money, uh, but let me go get it for you. And instead of forgiving his debt, his master who had been forgiven of such greater debt has sort of a Darth Vader moment. It says it chokes him, and then he says he's not going to forgive his debt. So the king finds out, calls him back and says, you wicked servant, I forgave you and you should have forgiven your servant. So he threw him in jail until he could get the money. Now, if you read between the lines there, he's never going to get out. He's not going to be able to pay that debt from prison. So he's going to pay it with his life. Okay, but if you rewind before that story was ever told, I love this. This is what is so great about the Bible. If you're considering whether the Bible is true, it tells us how messed up everyone is. It doesn't, it doesn't just jump over that. And so here's one of those accounts. Before the story was even told, do you catch what happened? Jesus had just finished teaching about forgiveness and Peter walks up to him and says, hey, about that forgiveness stuff, let's say I want to do that thing for my brother. He's still figuring this out. How many times do I have to do that? Like seven times? And it's like he's saying, how many times do I actually have to show favor to people who persecute me and cause me harm, yet still ask me for forgiveness? Because Jesus, that doesn't seem very beneficial for me. And Jesus answers, not seven times, 77 times. And that's his way of saying, There's no limit to the amount of times that you should forgive those who do you wrong, if they're willing to ask you truly. Why? Because if we've truly and authentically received the gift of forgiveness, then we realize its results are forever, and we must give it. And only for that reason are we actually able to give it over and over again, because we've been forgiven. Calvin said it this way, John Calvin, that we ought to be ready and prepared to grant forgiveness not once or twice, but as often as the sinner shall repent, seventy-seven times. Just like Peter, we live in a world where we want our metrics, we want our to-do lists, we want our morality check boxes, so that we know we're okay on the outside. Or as earlier, we want to know how to pray in public. And then Jesus turns it into saying, well, you got to authentically forgive. It's not about that stuff. God wants surrender. It's less about performance, that's what's called religion, and more about surrender, which is faith. The difference between Christianity and every other religion is the difference between two words, doing and done. And if we could, I think of this, if we could ask an apple tree what it worries about the most, I think it would probably say how good its fruit looks and how good its fruit tastes so that everyone looks at that apple tree and says, you're my favorite tree. And it wants to be liked so that it's not taken up out of the orchard and thrown away like the trees that don't bear good fruit. But in reality... What that apple tree should be most worried about or concerned with is water. Because if it has no water, there will never be any fruit for anyone to eat, look at, or taste. And without our roots and nourishment in the right places, we will always turn forgiveness into performance, just like Peter was trying to do at the beginning of that. And that's precisely what Jesus is trying to warn us against. So the servant begs for mercy, he receives mercy from the king, and then he creates a situation again for somebody else that he's just been freed from. Rather than forgiving his servant, he leaves completely unchanged, which is reminiscent of the verse in James that says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, and then he goes away and forgets what he looks like. Jesus is reminding us. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not real forgiveness. Okay, I was visiting, uh, some of y'all may know this uh, counselor, with a counselor recently, a couple of years ago, by the name of Andy Garner. Changed my life. Wonderful man. Thank you, Andy, if you're here listening on this recording one day. We were discussing something called generational sin. For example, if somebody grows up in a certain environment of abuse or anger or pessimism, the chances are much higher that they're going to recreate that environment for someone else unless something happens. He said that the only way for the cycle to change is when somebody says, I don't want this to be this way anymore. But then for that desire to actually truly happen, it requires a power outside of that person to see it accomplished because they're not strong enough to do it on their own. Well, for us in forgiveness, Jesus is that person And he's that nourishment that we must rest the roots of our souls in to actually be able to do this. And he provides himself, he provides his people, which is the church, as the family of support for restoring this decaying world that is longing for authenticity. And when we live authentically, the results are never ending and we become like lights shining forgiveness in the darkness of a performance world. And he offers us the forgiveness that we can first receive but never attain on our own so that we can stop and say, I'm not going to continue this cycle of destruction that's left because of sin. Surrender is required though. And that's about identity. That's about letting go of ourselves completely to trust the power and authority of another. You know, are we here today, I ask myself this question, are we here today... Accepting the forgiveness of God verbally, yet holding others by the throat in debt to us, or are we surrendering it all to the one who has the power to give it? Corey Tin Boom says, forgiveness is like setting a prisoner free, only to realize that the prisoner is you. And true forgiveness is never-ending. Freedom from our prison forever. And lastly, true forgiveness is transformational. In this parable, Jesus tells us of a servant who walks away completely unchanged. And in fact, he does the opposite of what's been done to him. And in doing so, he becomes a hypocrite. That's one of the main arguments why people say they don't want to come to church. It's full of hypocrites. I always get caught up on that. So is the mall and restaurants, but we eat there. But anyways, side note. We're all hypocrites in some way. And in the case of forgiveness hypocrisy looks like this, we're willing to accept it for our own selfish gain, but not to give it when it costs us something, and that's performance, okay, that's the man-centered religion that we all hate, and that we hate to be a part of, and that other people hate, that's the hypocrisy piece, but Jesus calls us to surrender, and he turns the tables on us here in this passage, And he teaches us how serious he is about forgiveness. If we don't give it, do we really have it? And that's the question that we have to ask ourselves when we're exposed by the scriptures. Have we accepted the forgiveness of God? Because if we have, it's actually transformational. It will show up in our lives, in our thoughts, and in how we treat other people. But it starts with the root, not the external fruit. Okay, and I don't know about you, but when I'm hurting, the last person I want to talk to is somebody who doesn't understand hurt. The person who gives me the list of, well, I'm sorry, that's bad, but you need to do this, 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 and fix it. Rather than offer me a shoulder to cry on. And that's because God's wired me and you for what's called empathy. To quote Brad Griffin, the author of a book called Growing Young, empathy is feeling with others sitting on the curb of others' life, not judging, not giving advice, but journeying with them, celebrating their dreams and grieving alongside them over their despair. And when we've experienced mercy and forgiveness truly, we can empathize with others who need forgiveness from us. We can identify those moments and we can surrender to Jesus in those moments as we offer them his love through offering forgiveness to them the way that we've received it. I heard this story in college when I was part of RUF. One of the students actually was teaching one week, and it stuck with me. It was a story of a sailor who uh, went to a port back in this day, and it was common back then to sell slaves, sell women as slaves. And he walks up upon an auction, and he sees an auction going on, and he sees someone bidding for this girl who's petrified. So he sits there and he outbids the person. Then at the end of the auction, the girl reports to um, the people who tell her who her new master is, and she says, who's my master? And they said, oh, he went over there, you better go catch him. And if you didn't follow your master, you were killed. So she goes and she catches him as he goes down an alley, and she says to him, you're my master, How may I serve you? And he looks at her and he says, You're free to go. I bought you to set you free. And then she looks at him and says, Then I'll follow you wherever you lead. And Christ bought us by paying for us, paying our debt to set us free. When we accept that, that's forgiveness. When we experience true forgiveness, only then are we able to actually give it. Paul Miller says it this way, religion says that the problem is other people, that the ability to change comes from inside me, and I need a God who's going to make my life pain-free and allow me to fulfill all my desires, and I'm the one who's in charge. Whereas relationship of surrender says the problem is me. The ability to change must come from outside me. I need grace. I need a God who will deliver me from my own desires, and he's the only one who can be in charge. Now I have a slide I wanted to show you that I think illustrates the difference. If we could pull that slide up. Religion here on the left, relationship on the right. How many of us are just climbing and falling? How many of us are clinging in surrender? Are you tired of that treadmill? Are you tired of trying to keep up? We can run to God. He's here. And ultimately, this parable is about how we relate to God. God's the king, and we are the servants. He's our creator. We are his created. That puts him in a position of authority, if that's true. And what he's telling us is that he forgives us not because of what we've done, that latter, not at all, but because of his compassion. He understands where we are and what we've been through. And we can't make up the death that we owe. So to think we can is to choose prison forever, here and in eternity, which is what he's talking about. And forgiveness is freedom forever. Not being forgiven is prison forever. And that's the hardest part of this verse. In eternity, and Christ refers to that prison as Gehenna, as the second death, and as the lake of fire. And those words are hard to say, but he's a God of compassion who doesn't leave us there, which is why he tells us the truth And he's the only one who can pay the debt. And he's the only one who has the keys to unlock that prison. And that payment happened on the cross. And that key is faith, which is accepting that forgiveness that he offers. And if Christ is in you and you've accepted that, although your body is dead because of sin, your spirit is alive because of his righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he's going to raise you from the dead and give life to your mortal bodies. And this is the gospel. If I climb a ladder, it's on my own power. That's performance and that's religion. But if I receive CPR, right, I trust my life to another. That's faith and that's surrender. And if you're here today and you've never asked God for forgiveness, hear him today. He knows where you are. He loves you. And he looks on you with compassion. He has paid your debt and he's offering you the free bill. And he's offering you freedom and salvation from that prison, and it's transformational. If you are here and you've asked for forgiveness before, hear him again today. He knows how hard it is to forgive others, and he wants you to run to him, and he wants you to cling to him for that power, because apart from him, there's no safety. God the Father offers us his love through forgiveness, and that forgiveness is through Jesus. Jesus took that anger on the cross as he bore our debt and he offers us now authentic forgiveness, the results of which are never-ending and transformational. As I, was, as I close here, I want to remind you of something I read this week in Charles Spurgeon, and I was reminded of this story. In the Old Testament times each year, the high priest represented all the people, and he would bring a goat out, and it's known as the scapegoat, and he would put both of his hands on its head and confess the sins of the people so that those sins would be laid upon the scapegoat and then taken away from the people. And then the scapegoat was led by a very fit man into the wilderness, and it carried away the sins of the people, so that if somebody were to look for them again, they would never find them. Well, now we see Jesus as the great high priest for all mankind, who understands us, who sympathizes with our weakness, and now sits at the right hand of God, so that we can approach his king who's forgiven our debts his throne of grace and we can receive mercy and help in our time of need grace to forgive and grace to believe okay he was pronounced guilty by those priests now God the father himself laid on him as that scapegoat the sin of us all and he was literally made sin for us given as a substitute for our guilt and he was made the debt that we owe. And he paid it through death. By bearing our sin and debt on his shoulders, that's represented by the cross. And we see that great scapegoat led away by the officers of justice to the prison of death. But the prison cell of death could not hold him. And Easter's coming next Sunday. And we got a whole week to look forward to it. And this is an appetizer. So I ask you today... Do you know that he carried your sin and that he paid your debt? That's forgiveness. And as you look on the, upon the cross and your mind on his shoulders, does it represent your sin and your debt? There's one way to tell. Have you laid your hand upon his head, confessed your sin, and surrendered your trust to him? Have you let him pay for you? If so, then your debt has been paid, and Christ bears it on his shoulders. As a load heavier than the cross. He died to secure that, and He wants us to understand that for real. And He gives it to us so that we can actually give that away. And so this word exposes us, but it shows us the pathway to healing. So as we look to the Lord's table now, let's remember the debt today that actually has been paid. When we eat this meal, we remember that He is real. And if God is real, so is forgiveness. So when you taste the bread, or if you observe, or if you want to contemplate from your seat, think about the reality of his flesh, torn for us. When you drink the wine or the juice, as it runs down your throat, or if you, you observe, remember his blood that cleans and it ran down the cross, and it paid for us. And as you leave the table, remember the truth that Jesus literally came back to life. And that is proof that everything he said is actually real. And that means that you can smile and you can forgive your worst enemy. And I can too, but I need you to help me do that. His body and his blood are given for us and he offers us authentic forgiveness, the results of which are never-ending and transformational because true forgiveness is authentic never-ending, and transformational. Let's pray. Father, may your words be real in our hearts. May anyone here, considering whether they are real, know you and feel loved, and thank you that they are here. May those of us struggling with your word from whatever it may be feel loved in the presence of you and may this meal remind us of who you are, strengthen us and encourage us, Father, and bring us to you. May we be the servants who call you our king and may we forgive others debts because of the debt you've forgiven for us. It's in Christ's name I pray this. Amen.